Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This week's episode is prompted by the publication on the 21st of December 1972, a mere nine days after the first birthday of Johnny Dean from menswear, the publication of issue one of Secret Origins. Peter! Yes. There have been several iterations of Secret Origins, if that's the correct word. Mm. Can you remember your very first issue of Secret Origins? I can. It was in the late 80s. I had just bought Justice League issue one. I was blown away by this brand new character to me, Ted Cord the Blue Beetle. Who is this guy? I need to find out more. And fortunately, my local comic shop, aka Books and Comics as it was, that I had pretty much just discovered the same month, right? they had a copy of the Secret Origins Blue Beetle issue. And that jumped off the shelf at me. It was very exciting, so I found out all about Ted. Mm. I found out all about Dan Garrett, his predecessor. And yeah, it was great. And of course, I, I scooped up as many Blue Beetle issues as I possibly could find. Awesome. What about yourself? So that was your secret origin with Blue Beetle, almost, as it were. Yes, very much so. What about yourself? Very, I'm just going to say very quickly, very timely, because obviously the movie's just come out. Mm-hmm. We've both seen it, we both enjoyed it. So we there we are. did. Mine was issue three of the, the 80s series, mm-hmm. which of course featured Shazam, a.k.a. Ah, Captain Marvel. Excellent. And I bought that in a newsagent's in Weymouth, because that's where we were on holiday in the summer of 1986. Mm-hmm. And I think, as I said last time when we talked about Shazam, was my entire life ever since getting the, the, the two issues of Shazam that I did get as a kid has been, if I spotted him somewhere, I yeah. bought it. I yeah. bought, if he's in this, I'll buy it. So I remember seeing this issue of Secret Origins mm-hmm. and reading it to death. My dad even read it and I've still got it. It's actually just triggering other memories that the at the caravan park <laughs> that we were staying at, the shop had quite a few DC comics. All right. And that's where I first became aware of the of the phrase, a special crisis crossover. All right, okay. The only ones that sticks in my head are at least one of the issues of JLA, but the issue Blue Devil, when he's meeting the other ah. Blue Devil, Dan Cassidy, meeting Dan Cassidy. Yes. And I was just like, what the heck? Because it was <laughs> a long way away from becoming a, a committed DC guy at that point. Mm-hmm. But yes, Secret Origins. The very first Secret Origins, of course, was published in June 1961, and it was essentially a giant issue that reprinted stories like you know, the origins of Green Arrow and Speedy, Marshman Hunter, Challengers of the Unknown, Adam Strange, Green Lantern, etc. A bunch of Silver Age guys, The Flash, obviously. But in the early 70s, as we've postulated, because of the large paper mountain, mm-hmm. because of the whole 52-page giant sting that we talked about when we, we did the 100-pages episode, there was a seven-issue reprint series of Secret Origins. And then, of course, as we've alluded to already here, there was the 80s series, which was kind of driven as a way of clarifying certain things post-crisis. Yes, which oddly kicked off with the Golden Age Superman origin, which was out of date by the time it was actually published. <laughs> I know, fantastic. But the great thing about the, the 80s stroke 90s Secret Origins was when I was first getting properly into DC Comics, sort of late 92, during 92 into 93, the Secret Origins series was a godsend. It was a goldmine. Mm-hmm. It was a brilliant way of just getting up to speed on so many characters. You know, you got yeah. the, the background of, of everyone. A lot of them, in some cases, I think Roy Thomas was writing new origins for people. Yeah, very true. Or just expanding the existing origins uh-huh. yeah but it was fun stuff i mean i think that was the first time i'd read an adam strange story really yeah because wow, i read his origin okay. and secret origins like well this is cool this mm-hmm. is it's a brilliant retelling of it but there was there was lots of really good stuff like this issue which has 
Our Man alongside Amazing Man and Warlord. There's mm-hmm. Green Lantern and the Creeper, Batgirl and Doctor Midnight. Lots of, you know, yep. the real mix and match. There's the update of the Flash of Two Worlds story. Of course, which yes. is amazing. And it's that same issue, mm-hmm. same issue, I think, also does something with the whole post-crisis Black Canary uh-huh. situation, yes. which were obviously um, the sort of Damocles that is JLA issue 219 and 220, whatever, hangs over us and <laughs> is, in, is in the distance. But yeah, Secret Origins, it's it's a great book if you're a newbie. It's a great way of catching up, of meeting Absolutely. new characters. And obviously Roy Thomas worked on it quite a lot because he was the de facto Golden Age guy at DC at this mm-hmm. time. The last few issues of All-Star Squadron, almost a sister companion book because you get a lot of origins in there for other characters. Very much so, yes. It's it's fascinating. And we're going to, what we've decided to do, prompted by the publication of issue one, is do a couple of the Golden Age stories that are reprinted in this particular reprint series. Now, issue one, as I say, published in December 72, that has stories featuring Superman, Barry Allen, Flash, Batman, and our old pal, Gentleman Ghost. Issue two features Supergirl and the Silver Age versions of Green Lantern and the Atom. Issue 3 features Wonder Woman and Wildcat, which is appropriate given that they were both in Sensation Comics. Issue 4 we'll come back to. Issue 5 reprints the first two stories featuring the Spectre, Yay. which is um, interesting to you know, postulate that that have anything to do with them popping up in Adventure Comics quite soon afterwards. <laughs> issue 6 has, bizarrely, the Legion of Superheroes and Blackhawk, and Issue 7 we'll also come back to in a sec. But we're, what we've decided to do in our planning and our preparation and our humming and hawing is we're doing the Kid Eternity story from Issue 4 which also features uh, an origin story for Vigilante, who obviously is playing quite a lot in the podcast at the moment. And we're going to do the Aquaman story from issue 7, which also features the the origin of the Batman and Robin team. So, without any further ado, Peter, can you remember when you first encountered Kid Eternity in any capacity? I think it was in an issue of Shazam in the 70s. Right. I think there was just, um, I can't remember if he actually appeared or was in uh, one of the, no, it would have been one of the 100 pagers. I think they printed one of the Kid Eternity stories okay. uh, from the past. But yeah, it was definitely a Shazam connection, but I can't tell you exactly what. Obviously, my next exposure to him really was in the Grant Morrison uh, prestige format series with mm-hmm. Duncan Fregredo and art. Mm-hmm. But that was much later on. Yeah, but I think that's right for me. What about yourself? I'm pretty sure it was an issue of Direct Currents, the DC freebie sort of preview oh, yeah. pamphlet, mm-hmm. which was talking about either the launch of the Vertigo ongoing series, which followed on from the Grant series you mentioned yeah. there, or was dealing with the Grant series. I think it might have been dealing with the, on- the ongoing, because it had one sort of pull-out panel on the front page. Because to- Once the DC launched the Vertigo side, mm-hmm. Direct Currents sort of flipped. On one side, you had the regular DC comics, you flipped it, and the other side, you get the stuff about the Vertigo books. If you've looked at our socials in the past, listeners, you'll see that I've posted a few direct currents on Instagram and Facebook if they've been relevant to what I've been talking about. And there was one pull-out panel of him saying, hey, I got an idea. Or I, I got an idea. Yeah. Eternity. And I was like, mm. but I don't think I read a story of the Golden Age guy until, as you say, maybe I picked up one of the hundred pages that we printed, one of his Golden mm-hmm. Age stories. Mm-hmm. There is a connection to the Shazam family, which is retcon, so we'll do those stories when we get to them. I haven't read any issues of the, the Vertigo series. Oh, really? I'm looking, I think, yeah, the trades on the shelf over there are the first bunch of issues of the Vertigo series and the, the trade of the Grant series, but I haven't read them. <laughs> I can see them on the, the shelf over there. It's Anna Sente who wrote the main series. Right, of so course, yeah, that rings yeah, a bell. That was, that was good. But I remember them being used in issue one of 
of the 1999 revival of JSA. Of course, yes. When he's being tracked by by Mordru mm-hmm. and there's various sort of dead bodies of uh-huh. people lying around, and I remember going, "Oh, there's that's that might be Abans, and is that Jericho?" And like, High oh. drama, yes, great stuff. We're probably not going to talk about the 1999 JSA revival in any detail on this podcast, but I'm sure there are other podcasts that will, and we'll make you aware of those near the time, probably. Anyway, so after all that preamble, Kid Eternity first appeared in issue 25 of Hit Comics, a quality comics publication that was published at the start of October 1942. And we're reading the reprint from Secret Origins issue 4. Peter's going to tell you about the cover to Secret Origins issue 4. At the top, we've got the Secret Origins logo in red against the yellow background. You get the DC stamp at the top left-hand corner, which looks a bit like the current DC stamp. It does. Yeah, in the top right-hand corner, it's 20 cents, number 4 October, with the numbers 30648 under it. I'm gripped already, are you? I am, actually. Yes, the comics code authority labels under that. At the very top, it says... A super collection of the most sought-after stories ever published. That's fair. Nice bit of hype. Yeah, it certainly is, yes. And of course, under Secret Origins, it says of superheroes and supervillains. At the centre of the cover, we have the vigilante crouched on the left-hand side, posed with vigilante, written under him, just in case you didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. And there's a panel showing a young boy dressed like the vigilante, guitar slung over his shoulder with a full moon looming in the background. Take a drink, listeners. Yes, and he's... In a graveyard, and it's in front of a grave that says Sheriff Sanders murdered by outlaws. And there's a white hat and a gun belt with a sheriff star hanging. Shot in the back over a matter of $80. My goodness, yes. But at the very bottom, we have Kid Eternity standing there with his white polo neck on, his red sash around his waist, his purple trousers, and his brown shoes. And a bit of a bit of a kiss curl actually going on with his brown hair there. Mm. And the main panel with that is, is that a submarine? Is that a boat? Can't really tell. We're underwater and Kiritanity is falling or floating. He's tumbling headfirst down through the water. Gosh, is he dead? Is he alive? Who knows? <laughs> well, stay tuned and we'll find out. Yes, <laughs> Kiritanity, it's a fascinating concept because basically, you know, this origin story is obviously going to explain it. So we're not going to really discuss his powers or anything at the start. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really interesting idea that's obviously part educational, part adventure yeah. It would make a great TV series, I think, mm, the, mm-hmm. the core Kid Eternity concept, which we'll explain as we go. So, into the Kid Eternity story properly. A Kid Eternity caption at the top of the page, a Kid Eternity logo, and there's an image of Kid Eternity with a nice little red cap on, standing in front of a piece of rock which has the word Eternity written on it. Is it a rock of Eternity? Could well be, could mm, well be. You can say. A few floating heads around him, one of whom is clearly Abe Lincoln, one of whom is clearly George Washington, one of whom I'm guessing must be a, a famous, important, contemporary military man. These heads are floating around. There's, it looks like there's a sort of massive beam of light shining down behind them. There's clouds of red and purple smoke all around. Some captioning, which Peter will read to you now. Who can say what is truth and what is sheer fancy? Who can be sure what creatures of the real and unreal roam about us? It's the same with the story you're about to read. We don't ask you to believe it. We don't insist it's true. But we would like you to consider what they said about radio, television, the airplane just 100 years ago. Could it be that 100 years hence they will have a different theory on, well, death? Another very small caption tells us the art is by Sheldon Moldoff. Caption runs along the bottom, reminding us it was originally published in Hit Comics number 25, cover dated December 1942. So, 
jumping into the story properly, the caption for the first panel reads, The year 1942. Earth is again aflame with a great war, and man once more is at his favourite game, killing other men. And there's a nice representative panel, I suppose it's supposed to be Mars, the god of war, sort of drifting through space and time, looking down at the Earth, we can see the moon there, take a drink, it looks like Saturn in the background and lots of clouds, and the Earth is exploding, basically. Not completely, but there's explosions going off, and it's obviously the conflict, this figure is obviously delighted by it. Panel 2, silhouetted shot of a of a ship at sea. Caption reads, One of the hotter spots is the eastern coast of the United States. Hitler's rattlesnakes of the seas have spread their deadly venom from the Gulf to the St. Lawrence River, leaving an overflow of merchant ships in Davy Jones's locker. On this particular day, the sea is smooth and friendly. An innocent-looking merchant vessel plies through the tame Atlantic, carrying a precious cargo of rubber and crude oil. Another silhouetted shot, and then we have a slow dissolve to our titular hero, who's on board the ship, looking through a telescope, and he cries, Grandpa! Grandpa! I see it! I see a submarine! And then we see his grandpa, who appears to have a sailor's cap on, cut a little sailor's stunny around, looking up at the kid who's up above him on the ship, and grandpa says, You sure it's not another shark, kid? No, it's a submarine! A Nazi submarine! Look for yourself, grandpa! Grandpa takes a look through the telescope, and he says, Gosh darn it, I can't adjust this glass! Ah! That's better. The final panel of this opening story page is captioned, What Grandpa Saw. And we see a periscope poking out of the sea. Interesting what our pals at the Weird War Tales podcast thought of this. I can imagine Rich doing yes, Killjoy was here and the fact that it looks like there's a, a swastika on the, on the top of the periscope. That's one thing I've noticed mm. in Weird Warriors is Rich <laughs> pointing out swastikas when there shouldn't be any. Yes. Anyway, top of page three, Grandpa's pulled a pulled away a covering tarp over the weaponry of this peaceful merchant vessel, and he's saying, Get out those guns, we'll show them! A big buff, topless sailor who looks like he's covered in tattoos and earrings has grabbed a shell and starts to feed it into the gun. A couple of more sailors are aiming the gun out over the sea, as Grandpa says, Keep the gun steady, boys! That sub's riding into range! And indeed, the caption of panel three reads, The cry, Let her go! rings out. And the gun kicks out a death-dealing missile. It's a massive boom sound effect as the gun fires. However, the caption for panel four reads, But it's a miss. Yes, we see the explosion in the water beside the submarine as the, the shell goes off. The sub retaliates. And it's a nice point of view shot of the torpedo that's been fired by the submarine streaking towards the merchant vessel. And it collides with the merchant vessel in the final panel of page three with a massive boom. Ship goes up, flames, etc. First panel of page four of the caption reads, The cargo of oil and rubber catches fire and the whole ship becomes a blazing inferno. Yes, we see a couple of sailors struggling in the heat. The kid, his little red cap, and as Pete described the other one, his white polo neck, his red sash belt and purple trousers, making his way through the smoke and the flames saying, Grandpa, Grandpa, where are you? <coughs> he finds his grandpa in panel two, flames licking around him. The kid cradles his granddad who says, don't don't worry about me, kid. Get off this boat. Uh... No, Grandpa. I can't leave you. But then it seems it's too late. Grandpa pitches over, not moving. The boy, you can see actually the sleeve of his jumper's been torn here. That's quite sad. The boy's saying, Grandpa. Panel four. It's a very silent panel, actually, of mm. him cradling his, his grandpa's dead body. Very poignant. Panel five, one of the sailors grabs the kid and says, Come on, kid. There's nothing more we can do. <laughs> Grandpa didn't hurt him. He didn't do anything wrong. The next panel, we can see the ship sinking. 
as it burns and the sailors and everyone else leaping off the boat into the water. Meanwhile, the sub seeing that one torpedo did the job rises to the surface. Yes, a couple of German sailors on top of the, the submarine. The commander says, Okay, Fritz, let loose. Spread some lead around. And we see the final panel of page four. Very unpleasant, this sailor taking aim. In the first panel, page five, there's a rat-a-tat from his machine gun as he fires on the survivors who are floating in the water. A couple of sailors we can see in panel two actually being struck by the bullets. And one blonde sailor who's in the water sees a bullet striking our youthful protagonist. And he observes, the dirty rats, they shot the kid. All is quiet once more. Too quiet. Yeah, the submarine is lingering as the boat sinks. And then we see the German officer standing on top of the submarine in the next panel. And Fritz, presumably, because he's still got his machine gun, is calling down to him. He says, that's all, sir. Not a one left. Hmm, very good, Fritz. You shall get a medal for that. And then in the next panel, the officer's comedy monocle pops out as he looks into the distance and observes, Himmel! American destroyer off the port side. And the caption for the next panel reads, A greyhound of the sea and coming like an angry tornado. Yes, a great panel, actually. We're standing next to the, I suppose, the conning tower of the German submarine. We can see the officer and his men, and then the distance on the horizon is this advancing American ship. The German officer cries, Submerge, you fool, submerge! And then a point of view shifts to the final panel of page five as we are with the American ship. And from that vessel... A voice can be heard saying, There she is. She's ducked under. We see the periscope very close to the American vessel as the submarine submerges. Now, in the first panel of page six, we see a couple of American sailors rigging up a depth charge, I suppose. We should have got Max and Rich in on this one. Should have, yeah. Should have done. We should have set up a four-way Zoom call and that would have <laughs> not been difficult for Pete to edit at all. Mm. As the two sailors are rigging up this depth charge, the first one says, Let's give her a hot foot. Okay, we'll blow her back to Berlin. And the caption for panel two is narrated by one of the American sailors, and it reads, Sided sub, sank same. Yes. Alliteration there. She sells seashells on the seashore. Yes. Another effective shot of the depth charges going off and the surface of the ocean being disturbed. A senior American officer looking through a set of binoculars in the next panel, and he's saying, Hurry, men, those two may be alive. And we see that a small boat has been launched with some American sailors in it, and they're trying to rescue a couple of bodies that we can see floating in the ocean. The first of the sailors says, It looks kind of bad, doesn't it, Jerry? Don't talk about it, Steve. And we can see in front of them the water, as I say, a couple of bodies floating. And actually, it's interesting, this panel's done as if it's the point of view of the, the senior officer looking down his binoculars. I hadn't noticed that at first. That's very effective. Mm -hmm. The next panel, the kid's body has been taken up onto the surface of this arriving American rescue vessel. And the sailor who's attending to him says, The man's been dead some time. And the kid, the kid just died. Too much blood lost. Oh, dear. And then in the next panel, we see the bodies of the kid and the sailor who were retrieved from the water, stretched out in the deck, and they've been covered up completely. Steve and Jerry, who rescued them from the water, are standing there looking thoughtful. Jerry says, It's a shame, Steve. If we'd gotten here two minutes earlier, we'd have saved the kid's life. Yeah, Jerry, it's too bad. He looked so natural, like as if, as if he wasn't meant to die. And it's strange, I should say that. But the kid looks as though he should still be alive. That's a shame. A slow dissolve. The first epic panel of page seven. I'm really getting, um, what's that David Niven movie that British Sea Power A Master of show? Life and yes, Death. British Sea Power show clips yes. of that first time I went to see them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, me too. Basically, it's like a wide plain of clouds with the kid and his granddad standing 
when this plane approaches. It's lit by golden light and in the distance there's a twisting, turning golden staircase that's ascending up into the sky above them. They're obviously walking up the staircase in the next panel. The kid's saying to his granddad, Where are we going, Grandpa? Up there, kid. Up there where them people are all going through that gate. Panel three. It's the pearly gates. It does indeed, yes. Is that phrase sort of as used in the common parley as it used to be when we were younger? I'm not sure if it mm. is. We see some people lining up to approach the gates, presumably at this stage, most of them war victims. We can see a figure in white robes sort of greeting them as they come in. Panel four, Grandpa says to the boy, I'll wait for you inside, kid. And what we presume at this point to be St. Peter, and obviously our Peter is going to play him, he kind of points at the kid and says, You'll have, have to, to wait, wait a moment, moment youngster. youngster. He's also asked the kid a question in the next panel because the kid is saying, My name? I don't know it. They've always called me kid. I was killed by the Nazis. I know all about that, I've had many victims of the Nazis, but you see, your name isn't on my list. My name isn't... Well, what next? If my name's not on your list, what happens? I really can't say... I'll have to call Mr. Keeper. And in the first panel of page 8, we see a big sort of bell rope type thing hanging next to St. Peter. And it must be said, in this panel, he does look very much like the much-missed Mr. <laughs> Mr. Peter Root. He does, St. Pete yes. indeed. God bless him. St. Peter pulls on the rope, saying, Understand, understand my boy, this is the most, the most amazing, amazing thing, thing that, that has ever happened, happened up here. here. I'm at a loss as, as to what to do. do. And in the next panel, emerging from the clouds which surround all this, is another figure. Whereas St. Peter has long white hair and long white beard, this chap's thicker set. Almost looks like a monk, to be honest. Like white mm-hmm. monk's robes he's, he's wearing. And he's completely bald. Around the figure, he appears and says, Did you ring for me? To which St. Peter says, Well, well Mr. Mr. Keeper, you finally, finally made an, an error. Error? I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. St. Peter unrolls a scroll. Presumably it must be his list. In the next panel, and he says, You brought up one too many. This lad's name is not on the list. Mr. Keeper leans forward to look at the list and says, What? But there must be some mistake. This is dreadful. Why, it's impossible. And then he steeples his fingers in the next panel, looking very thoughtful and saying, y- You're right. I, 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 I did make a mistake. To which St. Peter replies, I'll say, this lad isn't due here for another 75 years. Yeah, a nice close-up of Mr. Keeper in the next panel. Frankly, looking like he was drawn by Guy Davis. Yes. Where's that Guy Davis Kid Eternity miniseries <gasps> DC Comics, eh? Ooh, Where's that Guy yeah. Davis drawn Kid Eternity Wesley Dodds crossover, eh? Mm-hmm. I demand it. Mr. Keeper gets a close-up and he's going, ooh, very much sort of, you know, almost a Frankie Herald expression as he puts his hand up to his face and proclaims, Imagine it! Two million years of perfect service without a mistake, and now I've done it. St. Peter and Mr. Keeper are boggling in the next panel, as the kid is sort of sat, sat on a cloud beside them, how poetic, head in his hands, and he's saying, Well, we can't wait here forever. What now? To which Mr. Keeper mumbles to St. Peter. I think we ought to do it, St. Peter says. Frankly, Frankly, keep old fellow, we're, we're up, up a tree. tree. There's, There's nothing, nothing else, else we, can we can do. As we arrive at the top of page nine, Mr. Keeper approaches the kid, saying, You tell him. No, no I'll tell him. To which St. Peter says, Yes, yes. and I'll go back, back to my, my checking. checking. I'm keeping many, many people, people waiting, waiting Mr. Keeper. In silhouette in the next panel, the kid says, Mr. Keeper, what are we going to do? Just this, my boy. I'm taking you back to Earth to live again. The next panel is a flashback to... Steve the sailor on the deck of the ship, as he was saying, 
as if he wasn't meant to die. Yeah, it's strange I should say that. But the kid looks as though he should still be alive. And in a cloud behind him, we can see an image of the kid and Mr. Keeper descending the golden spiral staircase. And in panel five, page nine, is a great shot of the kid and Keeper walking through a sort of golden cloud that's streaked with bits of pink. It's very, very, very cosmic. Mm. Uh, the boy's saying, Brr, when will we reach Earth, Mr. Keeper? Not long now. We'll go through a gateway and you'll see it from the clouds. The next panel was great. They're standing in a cloud looking down at the Earth, which is far, far below them. There we are down there. Don't be afraid, my boy. Nothing can harm you now. You see, you are uh, dead. The next panel, it looks as though they've just leapt off the cloud to float down towards Earth. I love how there's just clouds in space. Yes. It's great. <laughs> the kid seems to be adapting to this new life very quickly. The boy's saying, where, where will we land, Mr. Keeper? My boy... I think I'll take you back to your body. And as we arrive at the top of page 10, the caption for the first panel there reads, Only seconds have passed since the eventful bombing. The two travellers from the upper world arrive to witness the sea burial. Shot the ship, Mr. Keeper and Kid floating towards it. We can see some activity from the sailors on the deck and the boy says, Look, Mr. Keeper, they're throwing my body into the sea. Don't be alarmed, Kid. We'll take care of that later. And the next panel... It's almost like they're floating in the sea, but they're kind of translucent at the same time. There's was a suggestion that they're ghostly figures, really. The boy is saying, By the way, supposing they see me? <laughs> as long as I'm with you, no human can see you unless we want them to. In the next panel, we see that the American vessel is sailing off into the distance. Mr. Keeper and the kid appear to be walking over the surface of the ocean. And the boy says, Hurry! Before the body sinks to the bottom! And the keeper replies in panel four, Stand ready, kids. I'm going to take you back into the world of life. Watch as I clap my hands. The next panel's cracking. It might end up on a tweet, to be honest. There's a green globe, green circle. There's a burst of golden energy around it and a little burst of energy striking directly from it, which seemed to be hitting the kid. There's a wham sound effect. And the caption for the final panel of page 10 reads, Black clouds form overhead, and the ocean whips into a mad fury. Strange Mr. Keeper stands motionless, in deep thoughts, looking toward the heavens. Then, a ray of light fights its way through the darkness, shining on the exact spot where the kid faded away. Yes, we'll further reiterate what we see. Keeper standing amongst the, the dark, churning waves, and a beam of light from the sky striking the surface of the water. In the first panel of page 11, it's almost like Mr. Keeper is pulling the kid up out of the sea. The boy is saying, <coughs> What happened? You're no longer a ghost, but we'll fix that in a jiffy. In the next panel, Mr. Keeper and the boy are standing in the sea. It looks like there's some... Is it just the sunset or, the, or whatever in the background? But it's very effective. This panel will probably end up in the social... Dramatic sunset, I think. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Keeper is saying... Repeat these words after me. Justice shall never perish from the realm of the living. It shall exist throughout eternity. Okay. Justice shall not perish from the realm of the living. It shall exist throughout eternity. Actually, he got that wrong. He did. He said not instead of never. Oh, well. <laughs> I bet there was a letter at the time. Caption then for the next panel. At the mention of the word eternity, a great globe of fire appears from the skies and breaks open with a resounding crash. And a massive ram sound effect. Yes, that's pretty much exactly what we see. A big burst of energy, a big burst of lightning almost above the, the two of them. 
It's gone very dark in the next panel. Complete blackness surrounds the kids and the keeper as the kid says, Never a dull moment with you around, Keep. Where are we now and how did we get here? It's because you mentioned that magic word, eternity. You mean just because I said eternal and he's cut off because the keeper puts his hand over his mouth and keeper says, Don't say it, kid. We've much to do before returning, which the word will make us do. Camera kind of pulls back in the final panel of this page. We can see they're amongst caves. It appears to have been called in red, very dark, very scary looking red rocky walls. As keeper continues, But I shall explain later. Come, we must make our way through the corridor of time. The first panel of the next page, they're advancing down this rocky corridor and there seems to be just a black void in front of them. There's a little golden burst of energy. And Keeper is saying, Kid, you are now approaching the beacon of eternity, the doorway of time itself. Quickly, speak the magic word. And the kid stammers, Eternity! Again, at the mention of the word, the great red globe splits open. Yeah, we're not quite sure what's happening here because there's not really any representation of a great red globe, but there's another ram sound effect, another burst of golden light, and another caption for panel three that reads, Though great fingers of flame gush forth from the burning walls, the two adventurers step through without fear. They are passing through the gates of eternity. We just basically see them advancing further through into the cave with the looks of it, surrounded by some flames. Not very clear. Keeper is saying, My boy, you are seeing something that no earthly person will ever have the chance to witness. And as they move forward in panel four, it's almost like they're standing in a rocky outcrop looking down at some other people. We can see what looks like it's Napoleon. Is that a female soldier in the background? It's not very clear, Could is it? Be. And someone wrestling a lion, which I'm guessing is probably supposed to be Hercules. And we can also see some silhouetted figures in the background. Their mm. faces and forms aren't very clear. And Mr. Keeper gestures at all this and says, Here we are at last, in the land of time, in the land of eternity. Closer shot of our two lads in the next panel. Keeper continues, Observe, kid, and you shall see the greatest deeds of history and mythology recorded all about you. Let's go closer. That's strange. I thought I would be afraid, but I'm not. I even like it up here. The next panel, Mr. Keeper points at one of the, the vignettes that we saw a couple of panels ago and confirms that, in fact, that it was... See? That's the scene of Hercules killing the lion. And then final panel of this page, we see a figure in a loincloth pulling out a couple of pillows and making some walls come tumbling down. And Keeper says... And that is the mighty Samson killing the evil Philistines. First panel of the next page... Keeper and the kid are watching a boat with a very, very, very determined-looking American military figure standing in the front of this boat as it crosses this this river. The kid observes and says, I know him. That's George Washington. Yes, kid. That's when he crossed the Delaware. It's obviously another type of a biblical scene in the next panel as Keeper observes. Ah, here is another great feat which lives through eternity. The good people in the arenas at Rome. Yes, we see some folks basically fighting off some leopards and panthers and, and all that sort of stuff. The next panel pulls back to sort of higher shot of the kid and the keeper walking through a sort of rocky passageway. The kid is saying, Gee, Mr. Keeper, I could go on forever looking at this. These men were all so strong and brave. Truly said, kid. The boy points at a uniformed military figure and says, An American soldier. What's his name? I can't tell you that just yet. You see, he's the unknown soldier of the First World War. A good man. Interesting. Of course, the DC unknown soldier will pop up eventually. Listeners, don't you worry. Keeper says to the kid in the next panel, Time passes quickly and we must return. 
You've seen only a part of Eternity and its great dramas, but you shall know all at a later date. But why, Mr. Keeper, should I be honoured with all this? Because we, uh, sort of made a mistake. We owe you a debt, and by blazes we're going to pay up. We're going to honour you with all this because you are neither dead nor alive. That is, you have a chance of doing anything you wish to. And what's more, I know exactly what you're wishing. You want to be a combination of all the great deeds and great men of the past, don't you? Yes, I do, says the kid. Mr. Keeper puts a hand on his shoulder and says, And that you already are. You have the strength and the power of all the great men of the past, as long as you speak the magic word and call on them. But your job will be the hardest of the lot. Yours is going to be greater than all the rest, because your job is to fight the future and all its evils. Now listen carefully. And they walk on through the the deep, scary-looking scarlet caves, and Mr. Keeper continues. When you speak the magic word, you shall be able to call on any person in mythology or history. They shall come, and you shall enter their body and battle in that form. Also, you shall make your body appear as a ghost, or as a living person. Your powers are unlimited, kid, and we know you will use them to the best advantage. And they're walking back towards a big burst of golden light. And a panel five of this page, it seems like there's a big golden shaft of light shining down on them. There's flames licking all around, as the keeper says. Say it, kid. Speak the magic word, for you are kid eternity. And at this, the boy cries, Eternity! And there's a massive crack sound effect in the next panel. We're on page 14 now, if you're reading along at home. Big burst of energy. The final panel of it also has Keeper and Kid standing as a burst of flames surrounds them. Gosh. First panel of the final page. They seem to be back on Earth, walking again over the ocean. And Keeper says, Oh, yes. I forgot to tell you one thing. What's that? I will quit my job as Keeper and stay with you as long as you want me, okay? Kid looks up at him, smiles and says, Okay, Keep. We'll walk towards shore and you can start your new adventures. And they're walking across the ocean. We can see a couple of boats, one quite close by. Obviously a seaside town, for want of a better way of putting it in the background. The kid replies, Just think, I'm Kid Eternity. And at the point of saying that, there's another massive wham sound effect. In the next panel, the kid, because he just said Eternity, obviously been returned to some form of life and he's fallen down into the water he's no longer floating struggling Mr. Keep says see what you did you gave those fishermen a scare and we see a boat nearby possibly the one we saw in the previous panel a few sailors in it a couple of guys paddling rowing away and one of the sailors sees the kid in the water and cries look a kid in the water let's save him a little bit gurgle from the kid and in the next panel there's another ram sound effect as we also hear the voice of the kid saying eternity One of the sailors says, What was that? One of his mates replies, The kid, what's happened to him? The first sailor points into the ocean in the final panel and says, He's gone. I can't see a sign of him. And at that, spectral figures of Mr. Keeper and Kid Eternity walk past them smiling. And two tiny little captions tell us that this is... The end. end. And another caption, rounding the whole thing out, reads, Kid Eternity appears in the next Superboy Super Spectacular, on sale, on or about July 10th. That's a point, actually. I might try and, even though I've posted quite a lot of 100-page covers already, I might scrape the 100 pages that he's in as Mm -hmm. content. See what happens, listeners, if I've got time. Yes. So, 
that's the setup and origin for Kid Eternity. It would have been nice to maybe have him having an adventure and using his powers properly for the first time. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that we don't really see there. Mm-hmm. It's very much set up and establishing the characters, but uh, we don't really get a proper adventure adventure. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, that, yeah. We obviously see him looking at some historical figures and stuff there, but Pete and I have already talked loosely about what we're going to do about Sherlock Holmes in the, in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's at least one story where Kid Eternity summons up Sherlock Holmes yeah. to solve a problem. The fact that they use the ability to call people from mythology as well. That, yeah. I'm guessing that means fiction too. <laughs> sure. Yeah, aye. So, yeah, that's that's fun. The artwork there was very nice, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Without a doubt, yeah. There's some, especially some of those close-ups of Mr. Keeper were just great. He just looked like a, a real person, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to a Golden Age caricature sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's... In a very kind of Buster Keaton-y kind of like look around him as right. if he's like a, a character comedy actor of the time. You sure, know? yes. W, like W.C. Fields or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That sort of thing. He mm-hmm. has that benevolent, older mm-hmm. sort of man sort of figure. I mean, it's it's quite a tragic sort of story, let's be honest. The kid is killed 75 years too early. So they yeah. basically, they realise they've cocked up and they give him the powers to kind of just go back and, and do all this. And um, mm-hmm. as you say, he's going to pop up again. We're a couple of years away from now, I think, that we'll, we'll see him again when we do some Shazam stories from World's Finest. Did he ever team up with the Spectre? Has that ever happened? Yeah, I can't think of that. It's weird because it's such a unique power set as well. Although it does cut around a lot of similar types. But, you know, the whole ghostly appearance you can appear in reality or not. You can call forth people from the past, either real or fictitious, and control them. It's it's so bizarre. It's it's quite a wide-ranging power because he seems to... All he has to sort of do is sort of imagine or sort of uh visualise... The character, mm-hmm. or the or the hero, or the person from history, mm-hmm. and then say the word eternity, and that brings them in. Because we mentioned obviously earlier on the start of GSA number one from nineteen ninety nine, and we see the body of Jericho and a Green Lantern and a couple of other figures. But the kid, obviously, with Mordru closing on him, he suddenly remembers Metamorpho. Yeah, who at that point must have been, I'm guessing, must have been out of action or not yeah, he was pro- presumably in Justice League or something. They probably get rid of him, just League of America in, in the nineties. I imagine they must have got rid of him. Yeah, there's a whole bit where the team were crashing to Earth from space, and I think Metamorpho formed a shell around them all, yeah. and then he died on impact. Yeah, but he got better, so it's fine. Yeah, because I think at that point his status was that he wasn't around, and uh-huh. that's the thing I remember from the start of JSC number one is the kid visualizing Metamorpho, and just mm-hmm. as he's about, he starts to say eternity. Yeah, but Mordru zaps him and kills him. Gasp. Obviously, the Vertigo series, this is me extrapolating from my memories of the JS series and the implications of that is that he must have presumably been a Lord of Order agent or something. Yeah, yeah. That, did you read the Vertigo series? Uh, yes, I did. Right. I've, I've got I've got a uh, full run of it, yeah. Okay, cool. It was a bit up and down, uh, but in saying that's probably my reading of it because I bought it all as back issues, so I didn't actually read it through in, yeah. one, in one go, as it Yeah, were. it's the sort of thing, I think if I'd been more aware of the Golden Age character at the time yeah. the Vertigo series came out, I probably would have bought it all. But I think, you know... See, it maybe if if Roy had used them in a couple of issues of All Star mm-hmm. Squadron, for example, I probably would have gone, "All right, I well, yeah. there's a new Vertigo version of Kiritimity. Uh-huh. I'll read that in the same way that I was reading Sandman Mystery Theater." Yeah, I remember really enjoying the Grant Morrison three parter at the time, but to be honest, I haven't actually gone back to it and reread right. it. But it did have it was prestige format, and it did have those three interlocking covers, of course, which are brilliant. And now that Peter said that, listeners, he's going to have to go home and dig them out so I can photograph them, or he can photograph them to put them in the socials. Yes, we'll see what happens with That'll that. Happen. Stay tuned. Got a little bit of Kiritimity related bonus content for this for this episode I've dug out the issue of the Batman Brave and the Bold series where Kira Eternity features I think it's one of the Hour Man and the preamble and then Kira yeah. Eternity is the rest of it also on the cover because I was going to use it during our Seven Soldiers cover there's two members of the Seven Soldiers of Victory appear in the cover of that one listeners so you'll have to wait and see in a couple of days to see who that is Kira Eternity though 
got to be one of the easiest characters to cosplay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm astonished that Vincent hasn't done this yet. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's it's, uh, it's very simple, but a very striking, obvious look. Mm-hmm. It's really quite cool. I always yeah. like the, you know, the red scarf, like sash. Yeah. Around the waist. Uh, thing yeah. Really I, cool. I always wonder if that was had a significance to it. But the fact that he's wearing it before he died is just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it kind of baffles me slightly as to... It does have a kind of Sinbad the Sailor kind of yeah. look to it, which is quite appropriate for our kids out in a boat, mm-hmm. you know, almost like playing. I'm fascinated but just the the things that he touched on when he said, you know, they call me the kid. He doesn't doesn't know his name and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Very interesting that this this kid is out at sea with his grandpa, where he is, and he gets killed by a senior Nazi officer mm-hmm. while they're out in the water. Mm. Mm. So yes, bear in mind, listeners, bear in mind that I emphasised that when we come back to the pages <laughs> of the world's finest. So, should we do the letters? Yes, let's jump ahead to Secret Origins issue issue six. Yes. For some, for some letters. Um, letters in the reprint title. Who'd have thunk it, listeners? Right, the first one, covering issue four, reads like this. Dear Mr. Bridwell, Secret Origins number four was, I believe, the finest issue yet in this magazine's short history. I prefer Golden Age reprints to the more recent ones because of the extreme difficulty in obtaining the originals. The entire issue was beautifully drawn from Mort Meskin's striking vigilante illustrations to Sheldon's very ethereal Kid Eternity, both artists capturing the essence of the characters in their drawings. In future issues, I would love to see more origins of the old quality and Fawcett heroes. Your magazine should be required reading for anyone with a fascination for the history of comics. Doesn't that just back up what I was saying about how good the 80s series was? Yep, without a doubt. Absolutely. And the editorial response says, Well, here's another quality hero with this issue, Blackhawk. We'll try to get others, but can't make any promises. And of course, there'll be a whole one more issue after issue six, so... (laughs) Ah, well, not to worry. Mm-hmm. As for the faucets, we may have a surprise for you in the near future, though not necessarily in this magazine. Ooh. Stay tuned. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The next letter says, Dear Editor, I want to thank you for such an amazing and great comic. This is the fourth issue of Secret Origins I'm talking about. Well, I think every issue of Secret Origins is great. I have a subscription and await every issue. The Vigilante's origin story was great. His wisecracks are humorous. In a funny sort of way. Well, I think <laughs> humorous is okay, that covers I like, it. I like humorous wisecracks, don't you, mate? But in a serious sort of way. Yeah. But my favourite story was Kid Eternity's origin. His power of entering famous historical and mythological men's bodies is original. But later that power changed, and instead of entering their bodies, he merely called for whomever he wished ah, by saying eternity. It's a very useful letter. Mm-hmm. The scenes from history in the land of eternity were great. And that's from Morris Kane, Los Angeles, California. Awesome. Editorial response to Morris reads, You're right about the change in powers. Actually, the calling of famous men and women, and even animals, was better as done in the later stories from ENB. Might mm-hmm. have to dig out the 100 pages like I say, listeners, and have a look at them and read some more Kid Eternity. The next letter, Dear Mr. Bridwell, The fourth issue of Secret Origins was, in my opinion, much more enjoyable than the first three issues combined. Wow. One of the major reasons is the fact that this is the first issue not to contain any story that I've previously had the pleasure of perusing. Mm. Another reason would be the fact that the Vigilante is one of my favourite characters because of the wonderful new sagas of his that have been popping up in adventure comics. And yes, of course, don't you worry, listeners, Greg will be back in page adventure comics very, very soon indeed. The thing that really amazed this reader was that this origin was written and drawn so well, especially when you consider that the tale was done when the medium was still feeling its birth pangs. The yarn was truly engrossing, I honestly never thought I'd get so interested in the reprint. 
You know, with just a few minor changes, the Vidge's origin would fit into today's world without getting involved in that intriguing but confusing Earth 1, Earth 2 routine. Simply make Greg Sanders' dad a policeman who was murdered in the line of duty in a western state, of course. Now, the reason for Greg to become a western-style hero would be the fact that his great-great-grandfather was a famous Wild West sheriff. I didn't care much about knowing the origin of Kid Eternity, but I must say it was a different sort of superhero adventure. And that's from James T. McCoy, Valley Station, KY, Kentucky. Yep. Yep. Steve will tell us we're wrong. We've had letters from him before. You pointed out it's Star Trek so didn't We it? have indeed, yes. Yep. Welcome back, Dr. McCoy. Yep, and the response to that one is... When Vidge later revealed his origin to stuff the Chinatown kid, and the writer realised how absurd it was for a modern sheriff to be killed in a stagecoach hold-up. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> yes. He therefore explained that the coach was used to transport gold from the mines, and the bandits who killed Greg Stad were Easterners. There you go. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Interesting. See, it's a little bit of bit more vigilante content by osmosis, listeners. Yeah, because we love a bit of Greg Sanders. Anyway, and the final letter in this letters column says, "Dear editor, I'd like to thank you for Secret Origins because it is fulfilling my long-standing hunger to know the origins of many comic heroes and heroines." Secret Origins Four was a special treat for me because of the inclusion of Kid Eternity's beginning. Ever since I learned about the character, he has fascinated me so much that I longed to learn the full story of his origin. It didn't disappoint me in the least. However, the origin of the vigilante did indeed disappoint me. What? I didn't <laughs> like that the hero's entire origin was told in four panels on page four. And the rest of the story seemed just like a routine vigilante story. Also, when was his sidekick stuff introduced? And one thing puzzles me, why did Vigilante display himself in front of Killer Kelly without his mask on? Didn't he know he'd be recognised? And that's from Richard Ludwig, Indianapolis, Indiana. ENB's response to that is, but he wasn't recognised any more than Superman is recognised as Clark Kent. I know it's unlikely, but that's comics. Comic spelt with an ICS there. Yay! Stuff was introed in the fourth Veg story in Action Comics 45. A few issues later in issue 52, he revealed his identity to Stuff. That time, the origin of Veg took up a whole page. Fact is, many of the early hero origins were buried in other tales like that. We are printing them the way they originally appeared. ENB. God bless ENB. We were very yeah. lucky to have them, weren't we? Mm -hmm. So yeah, a bit more chat about Vigilante than... Eternity, but that's fine. It gives you an idea what the Vigil Origin story was like because we, you know, we could have done several others, but it would have been Hero Night. Wow, I've just noticed a really good Swamp Thing house ad in issue six. Look for that, listeners, if you have a copy. So that's it for Eternity. He will pop up in the podcast in the future. We're moving on now to issue seven. See, issue one was published December 72, and issue seven, the final one, was published on the 30th of July 1974. So we are kind of dipping into the future. Seven issues over a year and a half. My goodness, imagine you taking a subscription out at the start. A little frustrating. Peter's now going to tell you about the cover to issue seven. Again, we've got a super collection of the most sought-after stories ever published above the secret origins of superheroes and supervillains logo. In the top left corner, folks, we've got the debut, although we're flashing forward a bit, so it's not technically the debut. We've got the debut of a brand new DC Comics logo. Yay! It's very similar to the one we've just had. It's a, a DC in blue letters in a white circle. But around it, it says in red, the line of superstars. And there's a star either side of D and C. Wonderful. I really like this logo. Me too. It's, I think, possibly my second favourite after the classic DC bullet. Interesting. So, yeah. And in the top right-hand corner, we've got 20 cents, number 7, November, and the numbers 30648, for those who care. Above the Approved by the Comic Code Authority label. Now, underneath, we have got two panels on the left-hand side. We've got Batman Presents... 
Robin! And it's the classic pose of Batman standing, beaming. He's very pleased. Mm. Golden Age Batman was just the black logo on his chest. And he's holding a hoop. And bursting through this hoop is the figure of Robin, everyone's favourite boy wonder. He looks very happy, doesn't he? He's, he's delighted. Yeah. That's what I'm right thinking. Is it issue 38 of Detective Comics? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. The homaging. That's been obviously homaged many times over the years. Yeah. I can think of. At least a Blue Devil cover. Yep, Black Canary, of course. Of course. Very similar, yeah. Harley Quinn's done it fairly recently, actually. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. And on the right-hand side, we have Aquaman. And we've got Aquaman on a large, mean-looking dolphin, it looks like. Or a porpoise. Or a porpoise, or yeah. yes. He's, he's um, pointing with porpoise at the reader. Yes. <laughs> and there's schools of fish swimming behind him. <laughs> How incredibly Peter Watson of you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he's looking, he's got quite an angry expression on his face, actually, for Aquaman. But there we are. Yes, a lovely Nick Cardi cover, I believe. I think that's one of the ones I've managed to find the original cover art for, so that might make its way onto the socials over the next couple of days, listeners. So yes, this issue 7 reprints the first appearance of Aquaman from More Fun Comics number 73, published on 24th of September 1941. Why are we doing this one? Well, Aquaman is a kind of commonly sort of held origin that he's you know the son of a of a lighthouse keeper and mm. and a lady from atlantis yes and i remember in our planning for this one our preparation of discussions peter advocated quite keenly to do this one for the, the reasons that will become obvious now i agreed with him very very much so mm-hmm. um without any further ado shall we leap into it shall yes we, shall we dive in let's dive in let's see if we can make a splash for this yes. story but hey other water puns will be available elsewhere so a massive opening splash image very dynamic Aquaman logo, a very dark stormy sky with lightning bolts striking the sea. There's a ship on fire in the background. Aquaman in his familiar orange tunic and green leggings, looking slightly older than I've always imagined them actually. Mm -hmm. Bearing a woman who has a bundle of a small child in her arms out of the water and there's a a monocled, another monocled (laughs) senior German submarine commander, another chap firing a gun at Aquaman and Aquaman seems to be deflecting the charge with his left hand. A caption reads, Many have heard the legend of Aquaman, but who will believe so strange a tale? Most amazing of all the secrets of the sea is the story of Aquaman, who, like a water god of old, dwells in the dim unknown depths of the ocean, leaping forth to do battle with the evils and injustices of the world we know. Fantastic. Another caption tells us the creators for this story. Story, Mort Weisinger, Art Paul Norris. Awesome. Now, a lot of this, a lot of the elements in this are very familiar, very similar <laughs> by coincidence. Maybe we should have done the vigilante story as well, <laughs> just to break up all the sinking boats and submarines. But the caption for the first story panel reads, An unarmed ship speeds over the high seas on its errand of mercy, and suddenly falls victim to the torpedo of a ruthless submarine raider. And that's what we see, another ship on fire, torpedo trail through the water, flames, smoke, etc. You know the drill, listeners, by now. The captain of the ship can be seen in the final panel of this opening page, crying, We're sinking fast! Lower the lifeboats! Women and children first! Page two, caption for the first panel. The killer craft comes to the surface like a vulture scouting his prey. It looks like this this vessel is W112 written on the side, and the first time I looked at it there I thought it said whiz. But anyway, atop the conning tower, if that's what it's called, another German officer and another German sailor. Look, the last boat leaves. The captain takes charge. Right, Lieutenant. And he sees us. Listen, he's going to hail us. 
cut back to the, the mustachioed captain of the, the ship we saw sinking. We can see the smoke trail actually behind him. He's in a little rowboat. There's a sailor beside him, a woman cradling a small bundle, like we saw on the opening splash panel. The captain of the sunken American ship yells, You fired on a defenseless ship, you cowards! A ship carrying refugees and hospital workers! And as we cut back to the German submarine, the captain says, Refugees? Hospital workers? They must not live to tell the papers this story. Sink that lifeboat. Advance, sir. Fire! But at the very instant the gun belches forth its shell... One of the women in the rowboat, with a child in her arms, points to the front of the vessel and observes... A hand! From out of the sea! And we see, indeed, a green-gloved hand at the end of an orange scaly arm has reached out and grabbed the bow of the boat. Caption for the next panel. A sudden force whips the boat forward, escaping the intended doom by scant inches. And yeah, and we see that this arm and gloved hand belongs to a blonde man who is swimming powerfully through the water, dragging the boat behind him. There's an explosion in the background as the, the torpedo obviously goes off. Caption for the final panel. The boat saved, the strange swimmer dives toward the submarine. Yeah, in the distance we see a splash as the orange and green clad swimmer dives down into the water. The captain... Of the boat that was sunk, the kitten, and I suppose the captain of this little rowboat observes, What? A single man handle this boat like that? Impossible! And a different woman in the boat points and says, But I saw him. There he goes now. Gosh. And the first panel of page three, we cut back to the German U-boat commander who's still chasing this little boat, and he says, They must not escape. Load and fire again. And from the water, the orange and green clad figure observes and says, and now for this metal fish that strikes like a killer shark. And the caption then for panel two, page three. Out of the waves leaps a figure of terrible reckoning. Yes, dynamic shot of our orange and green clad hero leaping onto the deck of the submarine and kicking one German soldier over the, over the railing. Fantastic. As he does this, he says, See the sea, my friend. As for you, commander of killers... He turns towards the, the commander who's ducking down into the conning tower, closing the hatch behind him, saying, No! No! Ahoy below! Dive quickly! Get us away from here! The submarine starts to submerge, and this figure in orange and green dives off into the ocean, saying, There they go, with their tail behind them. Well, the ocean isn't deep enough to hide them, but first to help the castaways... Diving deep, the strange man of the sea addresses friendly porpoises in their own language, and they obey. Yeah, great shot of this chap who hasn't been named yet as Aquaman, but it is he. I'm just going to start calling him Aquaman now. <laughs> Aquaman swimming along with the porpoises, and he's saying, Quick, friends, rescue that boat. Hurry it to land. Next panel's great. It's an aerial shot of the lifeboat speeding through the, the sea, assisted by the, by the porpoises. Aquaman is egging them on, saying, Faster! Faster! And the captain of the ship that was sunk is observing, Man and boy have sailed the sea for 40 years, but not even seeing this can make me believe it. This is great. In the next panel, we can see the porpoises behind the lifeboat as the ship captain calls backwards, Say, man of the sea, from what land are you? From no land. My name is Aquaman. But these miracles you've done for us, how did you manage them? Well... There's no harm in telling you. The story must start with my father, a famous undersea explorer. If I spoke his name, you would recognize it. My mother died when I was a baby, and he turned to his work of solving the ocean's secrets. Now, 
poor Peter, me forcing him to try and do a different James Bond voice as Aquaman. He's got a little bit of narration to do for the next couple of panels. They all have the nice little tricky little ripple border to them. First one shows a man looking very much like Magnus Robot Fighter. Yes. In a sort of orange sort of tunic with a mask and uh, a sort of aqualung type thing on his back. He's working underwater and Aquaman's narration for this first panel reads. His greatest discovery was an ancient city in the depths where no other diver had ever penetrated. My father believed it was the lost kingdom of Atlantis. And sure enough, we can see some columns, as we probably imagine Atlantis to have. And as he's examining the undersea ruins, Aquaman's dad is saying, This was once a great civilization, drowned ages ago by a deluge. <laughs> What is his dad, Sean Connery? They get his, okay. they get Sean Connery to play his dad, okay. obviously, okay, because okay. you know, okay. <laughs> that's that gives okay. it a, added resonance. Okay. Aquaman's narration continues in panel two. He made himself a watertight home in one of the palaces and lived there, studying the records and devices of the race's marvelous wisdom. From the books and records, he learned the ways of teaching me to live under the ocean. Yeah, another shot of Aquaman's dad looking through a book. Underwater books. Listeners, waterproof books. Imagine. It's the future. Mm. Aquaman's dad is saying, These remains of their science show that they possess wonders the upper world has never known. Some more narration for panel three. Drawing oxygen from the water and using all the power of the sea to make me wonderfully strong and swift by training and a hundred scientific secrets, I became... What you see, a human being who lives and thrives under the water. And we see Aquaman's dad with his helmet on again, but the young Aquaman, distinctive in his green trunks and blonde hair, he's swimming around without any equipment. Looks like he's trying to grab hold of a fish. And Aquaman's dad is saying, My son is a true dweller of the deep. His name shall be Aquaman. And the panel four it looks as though Aquaman's remembered that he's left the oven on because he's running away from the, the ship's captain that we've been with so far. Aquaman's saying, That's all of the story. My father died. I carried on his studies in the sea-bottom city. Now I must go. Not yet. My country and people will reward you, cries the ship captain, but Aquaman dives into the water and in the parting shot he says, Thanks, but I seek no reward. Splash. Caption for panel six. Swifter than any racing craft or deadly gale, Aquaman cleaves the sea on the trail of the U-112. His friends of the deep indicate the watery path taken by the fugitive sea raider. Of course it's a U-112, not a W. Looks like a W. Still looks like it says whiz. Hmm. Anyway, as he swims along, Aquaman is saying, There is much evil in this upper world. I will do my share in punishing it. Now to settle accounts and a slow dissolve. The raiding submarine returns to its base, a little-known island near the sea lines where a high official waits for a report. Yes, we see that this German official officer is a large, very portly-looking fellow. He has a monocle and a uniform. He is saluting the captain of the U-112. The official is saying, Are you back, captain? You sank that refugee ship? I did, Excellency, but the story I have to tell you will make you shudder. And a slow dissolve, he's finished telling his story, as he says, and I take my oath, it is all true. Ha <laughs> You are a good sailor, and like all sailors, you spin a good yarn. But they're interrupted by another younger German sailor who points behind them and says, Captain, Excellency, look what comes out of the water. Forth from the waves bursts a terrifying juggernaut of justice. Yes, it's Aquaman riding along on the back of a porpoise. He says, I have oceans of love for you, boys. 
and from the dock the German captain cries, There he is, the man of the sea! Run, hide! The official says, What is this? A masquerade joke? Bring a submachine gun! Caption for panel three reads, But before the bullets strike, Aquaman dives from sight. Yes, we can see the, the submarine docked behind them as the official fires a machine gun into the water after Aquaman, the official saying, So, now it is the sea creature who flees like a frightened minnow. And indeed, caption for panel four reads, Reaching the submarine, Aquaman lunges a powerful blow at the vessel's hull and the metal plates buckle and snap under the terrific impact. Yeah, basically see what it says. Aquaman punching a hole in the submarine. And indeed in panel five, we see the submarine starting to... (laughs) Yes, the captain very helpfully points out when he says, My submarine! It sinks! It is lost! The official says... And we are trapped in this island until another submarine comes to report. Aquan leaps out of the water onto the dockside in the next panel, saying, You are only half right. You are trapped, but no submarine will ever report to you again. Aquan moves forward, grabbing the, the gun from the hand of the official, saying, Don't threaten me. I'm no helpless refugee woman aboard a peaceful ship. In the first panel of page six, the two Nazis start to make a run for it as Aquaman says, why don't you birds go jump in the lake? We can see them running towards a shed, hut-type building, which has the word Arsenal written on it. As they duck into the building in panel two, Aquaman says, Trapped in your own arsenal, big shots. Capture for panel three. But as Aquaman is about to batter down the door... Yeah, the official leans out of a window. He's got a heavy-looking hammer in his hand. He's holding it above Aquaman, who's battering the door. Aquaman's saying, Come out of the sewer, rats. Capture for panel four. An unsuspected attack from above knocks him senseless. Yes, the official drops the hammer which strikes Aquaman square in the forehead. Heads, you lose, says the official. A slow dissolve, the caption for panel five. When Aquaman regains consciousness... Yes, the official and the U-boat captain are standing looking at him. The official says... Ah, Captain Vex, do you still sneer at us, ocean freak? A strange enemy, says the captain. It's a pity he must die before we learn the mystery of his origin. They duck down towards him in the next panel. Looks like they're securing some weights to his feet. Uh Uh-oh, the official is saying, You like the water so much. Back to it, you'll go. Yes, laughs the captain. To feed the fishes. In the next panel, they're in a small boat out to sea. And as they throw Aquaman into the water, we can see he's bound in ropes with weights tied to his waist and round his ankles. The official says, How deep is the ocean? And the captain cries, Happy landing. Caption for panel six. Down, down, like a leaden weight, plummets the shackled Aquaman, and into the mouth of an extinct sea volcano. Gosh, that's a turn up for the books. As he descends through the water, Aquaman is thinking, Now, how do I get out of this hole? And the caption for the first panel of page seven reads, The tons of water pressure pressing from all sides, fatal to any normal being, prevent Aquaman from bursting his bonds. Yes, we see him struggling to do so, and he thinks... Davy Jones's locker has nothing on this place but how to get out. Caption for panel two. Aquaman's keen eyes suddenly sight a cluster of rare sub-ocean plants on the floor of his watery prison. Yes, kind of odd-looking pink efforts with green fronds, that's all I can say, basically. Aquaman looks at them and thinks, One fights fire with fire and water with water. The caption for panel three reads, Aquaman has recognised the bulb-like plants as a species containing a bright greenish fluid, in the same manner that a squid exudes an inky-like liquid to confuse its enemies, so these plants secrete a coloured fluid 
when molested. Yes. And Aquaman basically gives them a kick and the green cloud starts to float up through the water. Aquaman thinks, An emergency signal of distress, but my friends will understand. And another caption for Peter to read <laughs> says, Attracted by the strange green semaphore that diffuses the water, Aquaman's minions of the deep race to the aid of their human ally. Yeah, we see some porpoises, I'm guessing that's where they are, swimming towards the green cloud, the caption for panel 5. The massive porpoises propel Aquaman above, where the lesser pressure makes it possible for him to burst his bonds. Yes, so as he ascends, he says, Thanks, friends. I knew you'd get my signal. And then as he snaps his bonds, he says, I feel like a new man up here. Okay. The caption for panel seven of page seven, the seventh panel of a seventh page. Of a seventh issue? <laughs> there we are. Wow. Reads. See you. Yeah. <laughs> Aquaman knives through the water like a flashing silver scimitar, a human torpedo yearning to destroy a band of inhuman outlaws. Yes. I'd love to hear what this actually would sound like as he attempted to speak while swimming. Um, Aquaman is saying Not much to work out yet The final panel of page 7 Aquaman emerges in the water And we see our old pals The German sea captain and the German official It kind of looks like the German captain's holding an ice cream <laughs> It does, um, yes It's just the way his hand is obviously <laughs> over his jumper Very unfortunate But the captain is saying That sea creature was like many another powerful enemy Our wits were too much for him yeah, he must be fish bait by now. In the first panel of page eight, Aquaman rocks up behind the captain and says, This will knock your wits out. Punches the captain. Captain's down. Hat goes flying. The official tries to run back to the arsenal, saying, I must escape that sea monster. Which Aquaman says, You land monsters are far worse. In panel three, the official's made it inside the arsenal and he's found an open box of grenades. Gosh. The official reaches for the grenade, saying, this will kill him! Save me! And he throws it at Aquaman in panel four, saying, You haven't won yet, you walking fish! Aquaman, an amazing display of speed, grabs the grenade from midair, saying, I don't know what danger this is, but I throw it back to you! Indeed, hurls it back into the arsenal building as the official looks on, appalled. The caption for panel seven. The bomb explodes. The great storehouse of munitions goes up in a mighty flash of flame. Yes, and hopefully there's room to put this little sequence in the socials because of the great shot of the official being blown up into the sky. Completely undamaged, maybe, but his hat has fallen off. You'd think he'd have been just blown to bits, but not yep. to worry. In the next panel, Aquaman dives back into the sea, saying... The submarine sunk. The supply of weapons destroyed. The leader of murder dead. So ends one labour of Aquaman. But there is much to do in this perilous upper world. A closing image of Aquaman waving at the audience and a caption reads, Much to do? Yes. And Aquaman, sovereign of the sea, accepts the challenge of evil. From his lair in the deep, he rises to face new dangers and win new triumphs. And the captioning continues. Don't miss the new exploits of Aquaman coming soon in Adventure Comics. Yes, because he took over from the Spectre, didn't he, listeners? But that's way, way in the future as far as where we are at the moment. Um, and then another caption at the bottom of the page reminds us to... Tune in on ABC's new hit show, Super Friends. Which we didn't get in the UK. Peter, I'm so sorry I, I made you do a Roger Moore voice instead of your traditional Sean Connery. I thought it'd be amusing to have the Earth 2 Aquaman, for, if that's who he is, have a different... Yeah. I'm so, I thought you'd have effortlessly done a Roger Moore 
No. I'm surprised. It's too low, wouldn't it? Mahogany like, really. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but not mahogany like the way Tom Baker's is. Interesting. It, it creaks in a different uh, oh, don't way. worry. You coped. You coped admirably. I just chucked some Matt Berry at it. Well, well done. done. It, it was, so fine. was fine. It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. So you're much more of an Aquaman knowledgeable person than I am. I love Aquaman. First thing I'm going to say about this issue is I have not checked any of the other reprints of this story because the Golden Age Aquaman generally tended to have yellow gloves. That's true. But in the colouring of this, they've given him the green gloves. I think it might have been yellow in his first appearance. It certainly was throughout the vast majority of the Golden Age stories. It was uh, yellow gloves that he wore. And that's usually one of the cut-off points people use to differentiate what's a Golden Age Aquaman story and what's a, a Silver Age. Of course, yeah. I, I think they did that with action figures at one point as well. Yeah, I that's think. true. That's true. But yeah, so that is always an interesting point I like to, to point out. Yeah. There's there's kind of a crossover period in the 50s where it goes between green and yellow all the time uh, until they actually settle on the yeah. green. So yeah, that's fun. It's interesting to point out, and this is all way, way in the future, and we'll talk about this again if we get that far. For the longest time, especially reading, reading through the bronze, Silver and Bronze Age, it's very much the case that Aquaman is Earth-1. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's one distinct JLA panel where you see distinct Earth-1 heroes, like the examples they give are like Aquaman and the Creeper, mm-hmm. and Earth-2 guys are like Dr. Fate and I think yeah. someone else. Mm-hmm. And I remember towards the end of All-Star Squadron, mm-hmm. Aquaman is sort of mentioned and does finally yeah. pop up. Uh-huh. And I remember a lot of folk being like, being quite pleased and a lot of folk going, Roy, what the heck are you doing? You yeah. know, because this is the whole thing that the crisis is trying to simplify. But it all makes complete sense because this Aquaman does have a different origin. Exactly. From the Silver the or- Age Aquaman. They're so, so distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know when the first Silver Age origin of Aquaman was published? Yes, actually, there's a whole column in this very issue that talks right. about that. Ah, of course, uh, under the heading Original Thinking, I'll just read out the pertinent part just now. Cool. Aquaman was quite different because he had two totally divergent origins. The first is reprinted in this issue, taken from More Fun Comics 73. His scientist father is mentioned by one of the characters in More Fun 80. But today, a different origin is followed. This one, first given in Adventure Comics 260, May 1959, tells of Tom Curry, a lighthouse keeper who saved a mysterious young woman he found on a raft in a storm. She called herself Atlana, and she soon became Tom's wife, though he never knew her background. They had a son named Arthur, and he soon proved able to stay underwater indefinitely. While he was still a child, Atlana died, but first told her husband and son that she was from Atlantis, whose people had developed the ability to live under the sea. Her son had inherited her powers, including the ability to communicate with sea creatures. Now, in later stories, Aquaman returned to his mother's birthplace, became the king of Atlantis, naturally, and married the beautiful Mira, who comes from another dimensional world. He's also clashed with his own evil half-brother by his father's second marriage, the Ocean Master. <laughs> so there we are. Was it Ocean Master? You, or was it, no, it was Black Manta you said that came out of nowhere, right? Uh, right. They both kind of did, to be right. honest. Okay, yeah. Right. yeah, I'm sure I've posted action figures of most of these when we did our first Aquaman episode a couple of years ago. That issue of Adventure Comics actually is really quite cool because basically it's a US naval ship that's carrying out underwater nuclear tests and Aquaman pops up and says, you can't drop that here. Why not? And he said, well, and he kind of sits him down and says, this is Atlantis. Uh, <laughs> so you can't tell anyone it's Atlantis, but this is Atlantis, so move on. Here's my origin. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah, so that's that's right. really cool. Interesting. Yeah. Even though there are several Earth 2 versions of Atlantis, mm-hmm. uh, they've popped up in, in many 
Yeah. Uh, stories we might do something with that in the future. So stay tuned. You never know. I mean, we're probably going to do the first appearance of Mira as a flashback episode at some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Maybe if when Aquaman 2 gets released, maybe, or maybe at some other point. I don't know. But we're hmm, going to plan to do that at some point for too long. It was perhaps unfortunate that we picked two origin stories that had submarines and <laughs> refugees and Germans and stuff, but not to worry. It's, it gives the gives the episode a very coherent feel, I yes, suppose. Thematic, um, yes. I really liked the artwork in it, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was really, really Paul nice. Paul Norris is great, yeah. I was struck by it. Aquaman looked very different to how I normally visualise him. I mean, he looked older, mm-hmm. a little bit less smiley than I always sort of think of him. It's weird. In some panels, he looks quite lean. In other ones, he looks quite buff. It's yeah. uh, it's an interesting combo, depending on what he's doing. And it's fascinating that the whole origin aspect was dealt with basically in three panels. Yeah. As we yeah. said, and as the letters page in his ENB said, that was very often the case. So he's bulletproof, and he can withstand the... The, the pressures of the yeah. ocean, but if a hammer's dropped in his head from three feet above him, yeah. then he's, he's knocked out. Maybe the top of his head is his Achilles heel. <laughs> yes. Uh, he also knows how to molest these plants underwater, which is quite good. Yes. Interesting choice of words. Mm, that's, what, that's what you said, yes. Of course, uh-huh. I also secrete a coloured fluid when I'm molested. <sighs> that's not going in. Is Kenny Smith running this <laughs> podcast now, listeners? <laughs> Leave that in. It'll be funny. I don't have much, too much more to add out of them both. I think mm. I probably enjoy the story we've done today. I think I enjoy them both equally. They're both very interesting. Yeah. In all the years I've owned Secret Origins Issue 7, I don't think I've read it before. Oh, so, really? No. So it was interesting to properly read that story and be like, mm-hmm. oh, interesting. That's the Golden Age origin of Aquaman. And, and you've obviously told us about the Silver Age one. So it's it's nice that they're so clear and distinct. It makes it very easy to sort of separate them and qualify them, I suppose. And his name is Aquaman. Yes. He's not given any other name. Yeah, it ain't Arthur Curry. So I wonder when the first use of Arthur Curry in an Aquaman story was ever made. Yeah. That's your homework, Peter, or listeners, if you want to find that out. for the... I think it's probably that origin issue. Yeah, that interesting. To 60. And of course, Jeff Johns has hinted he'll be using the Golden Age version of Aquaman in his Justice Society comic, because of course he did those Who's Who pages, which included oh, that's the right. Golden Age Aquaman. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. I haven't read issue five yet. I know that Ross has just done an episode on it, so I've been very mm-hmm. careful not to read Ross's description on his Stop Let's Team Up show. I'm a wee bit behind. I've done it deliberately because, not picked it up yet, because it's been so long between them that I want the yeah. gap before issue six to be a little sh- yeah. a little smaller. Yeah. But it's funny, actually, just as we read this on my time hop the other day, I had all the, the stuff from this time last year when they announced you know, the, the Stargirl miniseries and the, the JSA ongoing, as they, they called it at the time. So it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to see how that plays out, what happens, yep. of how long they manage to keep this going, how long it'll be before issue five rocks up on the stands. And if they do, as you say, and if they, if they use this, this other version of Aquaman, I completely forgot he was there. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Mm-hmm. On that bombshell. How do you think this Golden Age version of Aquaman will be brought into the JSA in the current maxi-series? Why don't you write in and let us know? You can email us at the earth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we've got some lovely bonus material for you for this and indeed every episode. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the earth2podcast and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. And it's a number two for all our social media. Very quickly, listeners, I posted the cover of the Brave and the Bold issue that Pete and I both encountered the human target in issue 143 with the question, when did you first encounter the human target? And Steve off of Instagram, who runs the Steve's DC Superstars account. I'm pretty sure he said it was the same Brave and Bold. And Brian Shufo said he'd never heard of the human target before. Gasp! <laughs> so that's quite interesting. Every day in education, Brian, every yes, day in education. absolutely. Listeners, if you're feeling generous, you can go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and give us a positive review. That would be lovely. Tell your pals, spread the words, send us a voicemail, tell us who you'd like to play in the next JLA JC team-up. 
casting is opening at the moment as we speak. On that note, indeed. Yes, I've been peace out. I've been David. See you soon on the Earth, Earth 2 Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. We see the periscope very close to the American vessel as the submarine submerges. <laughs> Pause for you to edit out there. And now for this metal fish that strikes like a killer shark. Are you not doing this Roger Moore? I can't do Roger Moore. And now for this metal fish that strikes like a killer shark. And now for this metal fish that strikes like a killer shark. That's not bad. Okay. All right, okay. This has, <clears> or, or Brosnan or any or Craig. Or... And now for this metal fish that struck no. My name is Man. Aquaman.